Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. This week's podcast features a talk by the Bishop of Worcester, John Inge, at last week's Church Times webinar on clergy well-being. The talk is introduced by the Church Times columnist Angela Tilby, who chaired the event. Bishop John spoke on how bishops can help clergy to thrive. He said... I find the most helpful analogy is to think of myself as the director of a play. My job is to try to bring the best out of the cast, so that their energy and God-given creativity and gifting can be released, and the production go well. My role now as a bishop is not to bombard the clergy with initiatives or ad clarums, but pray God to be an encouraging, non-anxious presence in their midst, discerning where God's energy is and fanning that flame. Find out more about our forthcoming events at churchtimes.co.uk forward slash events where you can also sign up to our email bulletin. Um, There's a very personal and pastoral quality um, to the ministry in the Church of England, and I think it's at best reflected when there's good relationships between parish clergy and their bishop. Um, I'm very glad to have um, the Bishop of Worcester, John Inge, with us this evening. Um, Many years ago, um, Bishop John licensed me to be Vicar of St. Bennett's in Cambridge, so I'm very grateful for that and to look back on that um, experience with with fondness. But how, um, Bishop John, if you can talk to this um, particular dilemma, how can bishops help at this time? Uh, Angela, thank you. It's it's very good to be with you. Good evening to you and uh, to everyone else, wherever you may be. Uh, What about the bishops? Well, um, I, in thinking about this, thought I should return to the ordinal and be reminded that bishops are called to care for the flock of Christ in general. And more specifically, as chief pastors, it's their duty to share with their fellow presbyters in the oversight of the church. Bishops are not chief executives or managers, but as the ordinal makes clear, overseers. I am not the line manager of the clergy of this diocese. That's clear in law. I bear the scars of having been taken to the Court of Appeal by a priest who was intent on proving that clergy are employees. The court found otherwise. Clergy are office holders. And when you stop to think about it, that means that the church is unique. Uh, There is, as far as I'm aware, no other organisation in which all the paid workers and indeed voluntary workers have such freedom and autonomy. Those in senior positions in other walks of life may have a fair amount of discretion, but never does the whole workforce have it. And I think that's a precious thing. I don't want to tell the clergy of this diocese what they should be doing on a Monday morning or at any other time for that matter. Now, during my ministry, I've been a parish priest, a chaplain, a residential canon and a bishop, and I see more continuity between those roles than difference. And I suppose as a bishop, I think of the clergy of the diocese as I might have thought of the congregation of a church of which I was incumbent. And of course, I have a responsibility towards those beyond the congregation, but I have a particular responsibility to care for and nurture those within it. In the role of parish priest or bishop, I find the most helpful analogy, uh, and I worked this out years ago, was to think of myself as the director of a play or uh, as I developed it as a pantomime, my job is to try to bring the best out of the cast so that their energy and God-given creativity and gifting can be released and the production go well. Uh, My role uh, now as a bishop is not to bombard the clergy with initiatives or 
uh, ad clarums uh, in a pandemic or at any other time, uh, but pray God to be an encouraging, non-anxious presence in their midst, discerning where God's energy is and fanning that flame. Episcopate, as the ordinal makes clear, is a shared task, and we certainly need to improve our shared care for one another. Simon will be pleased to hear that in this diocese, we're committed to embracing uh, the 2020 Act of Synod, proclaiming and affirming the covenant for clergy care and well-being. We've appointed a member of the bishop's staff as Dean of Wellbeing and published a flourishing in ministry document, which is being rolled out uh, like you do vaccines for consultation. The chair of the House of Laity is taking the lead on fronting it. Like all Episcopae, this must be a shared task. I begin the foreword to the flourishing in ministry document by quoting our Lord's summary of the law. I often hear that reduced to loving God and loving neighbour. But of course, there are three vertices, not two, God, neighbour and self. And in my experience, personal and ministerial, it's the last of these three that followers Jesus of Jesus find most problematic. Maybe we're too immersed in the commands to deny oneself, even of dying to self. There's a proper self-love, though, which sets one free to love one's neighbour and enable them to find life in abundance as well as oneself. In Acts 20, before telling the leader of the church, leaders of the church in Ephesus to be shepherds of the church, Paul instructs them to keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch over yourselves. As clergy, indeed, as Christians, this doesn't just apply to clergy, we ourselves have primary responsibility under God to care for ourselves. My role as bishop, I think, is to set a good example and encourage others to look after themselves. Of course, there are many things which militate, us against, militate against us doing this. There will be unrealistic expectations on us. That's nothing new, we might remind ourselves. It's just nowadays focused on different things. Years ago, it used to be that the clergy didn't visit. The parish on Tyneside, there was a story about a, uh, of which I was vicar, a vicar just after the war, who used to rush down the, the terraced uh, streets of terraced houses, shoving visiting cards in the door and moving on before anyone had a chance to answer the door. But whatever other people place upon us in terms of expectations, it seems to me that our most unrealistic expectations come from within, precisely because we don't really love ourselves. We preach a gospel of grace and unconditional love, but we live as if we need to prove ourselves to God and others, and maybe the bishop, maybe the archbishop. It's no accident, I think, that Pelagius came from these islands. Mentioning archbishops, Rowan Williams and Justin Welby, both of whom I admire greatly, are very, very different people. But it seems to me that they have one thing in common. They are both, more or less, as I observe them, at ease in their own skin. If that's not true for us, we need to work on it. If we're going to experience that fullness of life which Jesus yearns to give us, we need to learn to be at home in our own skin, for our own sake, but also for the sake of those to whom we minister. Too many leaders are working out their agenda on others and not just in the church. We need to ask ourselves, what drives us? John Cleese, some of you will remember, wrote a wonderful book with his therapist, Robin Skinner, years ago, entitled Life and How to Survive It. 
there's a huge amount of distilled psychological wisdom in it, accessibly articulated. One chapter is headed, look, daddy, I'm the chairman of Consolidated International. If we're wanting to prove ourselves, who is it really to? And of course, many of the things which form us and bind us down will be from our long distant past. Uh, a friend of mine once spoke to a group of teenagers um, and uh, she told them something they didn't want to hear. She said, most of them, the most important things that will ever happen to you in your life have already happened. Now, I can't answer the question about what drives us for clergy, but I need to try to avoid colluding in infantilizing them and discourage them from projecting their demanding daddy image onto me. We're called to love not just God and others, but ourselves. I have to confess I'm not keen on us thinking ourselves as professionals. Professionals have clients and there is a professional distance between them and their clients. I believe we're called to be amateurs in the true sense of the word. Its root is love. We're called to love those to whom we're called, as well as ourselves. That doesn't mean, of course, that there's any excuse for incompetence or sloppiness. If when they say we're to be professional people or have professional standards, people mean that we're to be competent in the tasks assigned to us, then I wholeheartedly agree. But I wish they'd say so. Anyway, the amateur will surely be competent and thorough. We want to give of our very best to those whom we love. That said, we need to care for ourselves. And as we do so, we need to pay particular attention to boundaries. As I've observed, as clergy, as bishops and as priests and as deacons and as lay people, I suppose, unless we're employed by someone else, we have immense freedom. So there's a danger of boundaries becoming blurred. What is our relationship to those who, to whom we minister. They're not our clients, but they're not our friends. It's a unique relationship. And there are obvious elephant traps of inappropriate boundaries developing, but there are also more insidious ones like being consumed by individuals in great need. We are not indispensable. The boundaries question applies to time too. Ministering as we do and being based at home can make it difficult to switch off. We need to recall that one of the things that's striking about Jesus, as we read of him in the Gospels, is his radical unavailability, his withdrawing. One of my favourite encounters is in the first chapter of St Mark's Gospel. It must have been meant humorously, surely. His disciples find Jesus looking for, having found, looking for him all night, and when they find him, they exclaim, everyone's looking for you. His response? Let's go somewhere else. Let me end by telling you about the ministry game. I learned it um, years ago from another bishop. It's a monopoly like a board game. When you throw the dice, you're confronted with pastoral dilemmas. And then you're awarded various kinds of points, health, job satisfaction, relationship, and guilt points. So for example, the dice uh, makes you uh, throw up the pastoral dilemma. You promise to go out for a meal with your daughter and someone who's suicidal calls. So what's your response? Well, if you say, sorry, darling, I'm afraid we'll have to postpone and go and see the suicidal person, you might gain a job satisfaction point, lose a relationship point, lose a health point and gain two health guilt points. If you tell the suicidal person to find someone else, you might gain a health and a relationship point. You would maybe lose a job satisfaction point, but you'd certainly gain two or more guilt points. The thing is that the guilt points just keeping on accumulating. Well, as Christians, they shouldn't.
Do they? Do we love ourselves? God loves us just as we are. So we have no excuse for not doing so ourselves, even if the bishop doesn't love us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.